Hello, and welcome to the AK-47 podcast. My name is Kristen Godsey, and I am recording this podcast from my bed in Freiburg because I have, after two years of avoiding it, finally contracted the coronavirus. And I got a positive test on Friday. Uh, I've actually been fairly sick. I didn't think I would be that sick because a lot of people that I knew who had gotten it, you know, had very mild symptoms. But apparently I must have got a pretty severe viral load or maybe my immune system is just weaker or I don't know, I got a different variant. I'm not really sure, but I'm basically in bed and confined to my house until I can get a negative antigen test. Um, and I don't know how long that's going to be. This is actually the first day that I've even had enough of a voice to be able to record a podcast because for a while my voice was completely hoarse. I had a terrible sore throat. And then afterwards I had this absolutely cackling cough um, that would break in at any minute when I tried to speak for any length of time. And so I may have to take strange breaks during this podcast if I start coughing again, but I have taken a cough drop before I started reading. And I thought it would be good to get back to women workers struggle for their rights so I can keep moving through these essays. And lots of things are going on, obviously, uh, but I'm missing most of it. Uh, there's a, a big election, runoff election today in France. Uh, it's Sunday, the 19th of June, 2022. And there's a left coalition that is trying to prevent the President Macron's party from getting a majority of seats in the parliament, which could be, uh, it's kind of a historic coalition uh, on the left. Uh, unfortunately, turnout seems to have been pretty low, and it's also the case that it was really, really hot today in this part of Europe. In Freiburg, where I am, it was up to 97 degrees, which is absolutely unheard of this time of year. And so I assume that in parts of France, there must have also been a pretty severe heat wave and, and nobody knows exactly how that is going to impact the turnout. And especially for Mélenchon, uh, who's leading this leftist coalition, they really needed young people and poor people and people who don't usually vote to turn out in high numbers in order to bolster the election. If by the time I finish this podcast and post it, there is information, I will link to some articles in the show notes. But for now, I want to continue reading this essay about the organization of women within the party. And where we left off last time, we were talking about the Gotha Congress. And at this particular period of time in Germany, it was illegal for women to enter unions or party organizations. And so much of the work that had to be done with women had to be done sort of on the side. 
And that's a really important sort of piece of background information to understand why things developed in Germany the way that they did. And so I'm going to skip a couple paragraphs here where Kollontai is really getting into sort of the nitty gritty of what was happening behind the scenes amongst the German social Democrats. And I'm just going to continue on when she talks about the ramifications of the Gotha conference and, and how the German social democratic women's movement developed after that conference. So here's Kollontai. The movement had managed to grow in strength so much since the time of the Gotha Conference that as early as 1900 in Mainz, it became possible to hold the first German Socialist Women's Conference. Since that time, these conferences have taken place periodically in Germany every two years. In Mainz in 1900, in Munich in 1902, in Bremen in 1904, in Mannheim in 1906, in Nuremberg in 1908, and in Jena in 1911. The Women Workers Conferences arose as a natural answer to the growing demands which their lives called for. The question of voting rights for women in the Reichstag and in the local Landtags could no longer be put off nor could the ailing, complicated system of maternity. Also lined up were the questions of preschool education for children, of protection for children's and women's labor, reforms of the schools, reforms of housekeeping, organizations for domestic workers, the rate set for the labor of domestic workers, security for nursing mothers and babies, the struggle against infant mortality, and so on. All these questions involved women workers very closely. They grew directly out of their lives, and they gave birth to new demands. The conferences of women socialists examined, discussed, and worked out these demands, and in this way forced the party, too, to examine with greater care and thought the special needs and aspirations of women workers. In this way, the women's conferences turned into kinds of special commissions which prepared materials for the general workers' congresses on special questions, which were then relevant to women. The result was some kind of division of labor within the party, from which the general movement undoubtedly gained a great deal. It is usual to consider the separation of the women's socialist movement in Germany as arising exclusively from political tactics and the existence of the law forbidding women from becoming members of political organizations. This is mistaken. It is true that in this time, the law about unions and organizations forced the women's socialist movement to seek refuge in extra-party societies for the self-education of women workers. But later, when the number of politically conscious women workers had increased, the party found a means of getting round the watchful eye of the law, and insofar as the unity of the movement required it, women joined organizations in the capacity of voluntary donors to the party. And then these donations were repeated periodically, serving as the membership fee. Yet the system of female confidential agents, special women's meetings, a separate bureau with its own organ, die Gleichheit, women's conferences, and so on remained in force. 
Finally, in 1908, the Prussian law about unions and organizations had ceased to function, and the women workers were thus able to take part in the political movement of the Social Democrats. Nothing stood in the way of the abolition of special work among women. But what did the party do? Did it renounce its previous methods of work with women of the proletariat? On the contrary, at the Nuremberg Congress of 1908, after a radical review of the party rules, the women's socialist movement was allowed to have as much technical autonomy as was possible without damaging the unity of the class movement. The party considered it the duty of women workers to enter the party as equal members, but settled on a lower membership fee for women since they received a lower rate of pay for their work. And although the system of female confidential agents was repealed, the party rules demanded that on each committee there should be a special representation of women workers, depending on the number of women members in a given district. In any case, there had to be at least one person on the committee elected by women who was to be responsible for agitational work and the organization of women workers. On the central committee of the party, there was also a special representation for women workers. The Women's Bureau of the party was not abolished. The Women's Workers' Paper, Gleichheit, not only continued to be published, but alongside this central organ of women workers, there grew up a whole range of local and trade union publications devoted to the interests and demands of women workers. The party rules also left in force the separate meetings for women workers, courses, discussion evenings, and also, where they were needed, the societies for self-education, and finally, the separate women's conferences. In this way, the changes in the law about unions and organizations did not change the type and character of party work in Germany. On the contrary, the division of labor in the party with regard to agitational work among women in the years immediately before the war left greater scope for the development and elucidation among the female proletariat of special women's demands. It is sufficient to mention just the Women's Day and the agitational work for women's voting rights, which was done around this new method of arousing the interest of women workers in politics, educating them in revolutionary protest on the grounds of women workers' lack of civil rights. The women's wing of the German Workers' Party developed each year wider and more many-sided activities. The party is indebted to women workers and their initiative for a whole range of actions on the problems of the cost of living, insurance for maternity, extension of voting rights in communal self-government. The women workers took upon themselves an enormous part of the work at the time of the elections in the Reichstag on the 2nd of January 1912. They played an active part in the election of members of the Sickness Benefit Fund. They carried out tireless agitation to draw women workers into the party. They held meetings. They organized so-called discussion evenings for women everywhere and specialized education courses, etc. In 1912, the Women's Bureau organized 66 agitation trips across Germany during the year, not counting agitational work carried on by women workers in the provinces. They held 22 open women's meetings over and above the regular discussion evenings and courses. 
in 646 district committees out of 4,827, women had their own special representation before the war. Die Gleichheit printed an edition of 107,000 copies. During that year, the number of members rose to 22,500. As well as special agitational work at the meetings, there was wide-read special agitational work carried out among the wives of workers at home, which produced splendid results. The special commissions for the care of children were replenished with women. There were 125 of these commissions before the war, and their activities were being extended all the time. In this way, Social democracy, independently of whatever external reasons may have existed, adhered to the principle of special, separate work among the female proletariat, based on the principle of division of labor within the party. Finding itself in the same situation as the German party, and not having the legal right to get women workers to join political organizations, the Austrian Social Democrats found their own way of solving the problem of how to get women in the workers' movement. So again, in Austria, there are laws that are prohibiting women from joining political organizations and from joining unions. And so once again... You have a social democratic party in Europe where in order to get women to participate in the wider social movement, you have to kind of work behind the scenes. The Austrians organized a special women's general state committee, which officially stood outside the party, but was linked to it ideologically. However, as early as the Second Conference of Women Workers in 1903, the agenda contained an item on women's role in the political struggle. In spite of the fact that the conference supported the desirability of wider political propaganda among women workers, in spite of the decision taken to form local women's committees for this purpose, women's involvement in politics progressed feebly and with difficulty. In this sense, the grand movement of Austrian workers for the reform of the voting laws in 1905 acted as a spur. Women were drawn into the struggle and into the general strike. The Women's General State Committee found it necessary after that to introduce, both into the party committee and into the Commission of Trade Unions, the project of organized work among women workers along the lines of the German movement. The Party Congress of 1907 came out in favor of a special agitational section within the party, and from the third women's conference in 1908 onwards, systematic separate work was carried on among the female proletariat in Austria on the same lines as in Germany. Even the repeal in 1910 of the law which had hindered the entry of women into political organizations did not bring about any changes in this field. In England, the special task of agitation among women workers was taken up by the Women's Labor League within the Labor Party, whilst in the British Social Democratic Party, there had existed since 1906 a special women's committee for this purpose. In 1908, 
the American Socialist Party also set up a special separate women's committee. And from that time on, the organization of women's workers in America has achieved considerable success. In Switzerland, the Union of Women Workers, founded by Clara Zetkin, compromising about 15 sections up until the war, took upon itself all the work of socialist propaganda among women workers. The same type of intraparty women's collective committees, bureaus, secretariats can be found in Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, and Holland. In France, there has been in recent years an attempt to bring to life a similar women's party organization. Alongside this method of organizing women workers in various countries, the United States, England, Holland, Sweden, there still exist special organizations whose official status is outside the party, although they come under the ideological leadership of the Social Democrats. The clubs, societies for self-education of women workers, enlightenment unions, and so on also belong to this type of organization. The goal of these societies comes down to either preparing the ground to carrying on propaganda among the most backward, ignorant masses, or to deepening the theoretical knowledge of women workers, preparing young socialist forces for the role of leadership of the movement. We in Russia from 1905 have also made attempts to create an organization of this type. The first attempt took place in the spring of 1906 and consisted in opening women workers clubs without preliminary permission in some parts of Petrograd. The breaking up of the first Duma interrupted the activity of these clubs. The second attempt took place in the autumn of 1907. The Social Democrats initiated a Society for the Self-Education of Women Workers, which set itself the task of attracting the broad masses of women with a low level of consciousness into the movement, getting them into unions, and involving them in the party. The Tsarist regime did not give these attempts any chance to put down roots. In 1909, the workers' movement was again forced underground. But the Social Democratic Women Workers came to the first All-Russia Women's Congress in 1908, called by the Bourgeois Equal Rights Movement. The Social Democratic Women Workers were represented by their own separate class group, numbering 45. Having passed their own independent resolutions on all questions, the Women Workers finally walked out of this, quote-unquote, ladies' congress. Later, in 1913, the Social Democratic Party decided to hold a Women's Day, and in Russia, this was seen as a symptom of the fact that the Russian working class, too, was gradually coming to realize the necessity of carrying on special work in the women's proletariat. Simple efficiency dictates this kind of division of labor. The position of women workers in modern society, the special responsibilities borne by women as mothers and housekeepers, mean that a special type of agitation adapted to the women proletariat is necessary. The Women's Day was held by the party in the following three years, in 1913, in 1914, and in historical 1917 on the 25th of February, the day of the beginning of the Great Revolution. In the spring of 1917, in Petrograd, the Bolsheviks began to publish the paper Woman Worker, and the Mensheviks published the voice of the woman worker. The war put a stop to both papers.
In the final analysis, the general class workers movement stands to gain from such a division, i.e. separate agitation among women workers, since the greater concern for the interest and needs of women increases the popularity of the party among women workers and encourages women to join the general party organization. In this way, the special party machine, working for the female half of the working class, not only does not damage the unity of the movement, but on the contrary, increases the numbers, strength, and significance of the workers' party. Extending by this means the framework of its social creative work, even as regards solving the complicated and confused women's question. So that is Alexandra Kolontai. That is this first piece that I am going to read. Clearly, as I've said before, this is an extended article where she's giving us the sort of historical background of how it was that these independent women's organizations, which initially had to be independent because women weren't allowed to join the political organizations or unions of the men, maintained their independence within the larger party structure. So even when it became possible for women to join trade unions in Germany or in Austria, for women to join political organizations in Germany or Austria or some of these other places, there has been this tendency to organize women within the party. And I think this is really important, again, and I've said this before, because one of the biggest fears, I think, for many socialist women's movements has always been the division of the working class. Like the last thing you want to do is divide a working class movement. You don't want to create a separate women's movement, but you need to have some kind of special agitational work among women. And that special agitational work among women actually draws women into the party. It actually strengthens the party rather than dividing the party. That is the clear lesson that Kolontai wants us to take from this long history that she has given us. So that's this essay. I will be reading the second essay in the collection, this this little pamphlet that I have in the next episode, if I'm feeling better. I'm actually pretty surprised that I made it through that entire podcast without coughing. It's uh, no fun getting COVID. I can tell you that for sure. So, you know, for those of you who have had it, I mean, I'm kudos to you for having survived it. And for those of you who haven't had it yet, it's still out there running around. So take care of yourselves. You know, I think there's a There's a lot of people who want to say that the pandemic is over, but it is definitely not over. I was basically at a a super spreader event when I got it, and I think four or five other people have tested positive. So it's definitely still going around, and it can definitely be very dangerous if you're not careful. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, for putting up with my somewhat hoarse voice. And as always, keep up the good fight.